open it with no microphone. But that was that. <laughs> so, uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, yes, it's the same outline I preach from is in the bulletin. So, you don't have to worry about taking as much notes. Um, it's uh, the same basic outline. This is message 16 as we go through the book of Hebrews. A couple weeks back, we looked at the difficult passage of the earliest verses of chapter 6 where it talked about people falling away verses that have caused much conflict in the church can the true Christian lose their salvation and I suggested that the apostle in writing this is talking about false converts who fall into apostasy. That the true convert, the person born again by God's Spirit, does not lose their salvation. That person is kept by God, by God's power. Even though the false convert could sit in the visible local church, may taste seemingly of the work of the Spirit, benefit from common grace, yet the false convert has never repented and believed on Christ. Though they might be religious and spiritual. And I said that that's a dangerous position. The false convert ultimately falls away into apostasy. A state where they are bitter and have hatred toward Christ and the Bible and they never repent. Or it's possible for the false convert never to come to faith, spend years in the visible church and still die without Christ. Jesus said, the weeds, the tares, grow up alongside the wheat. And sometimes, by God's grace, someone might recognize, I never truly believed. I've only thought 
I was a Christian. And they repent and truly believe. Excuse me. We have a friend, Dr. Krabinov, who's a great Bible teacher. Um, he was a pastor in the Presbyterian Church at age 33 when he realized he was not converted. And he repented and believed. And now, what is he? In his 90s, he's had like 60 years of preaching Christ, truly. But as we remember these verses, that you be encouraged. The true convert is kept by God. And we come down to verse 9. And what we have here. We have three points. The apostolic confidence. Second point, salvation rooted in the trust and true God. And third, the apostolic desire. Notice the contrast in verse 9. You see the little word. But, you see this many times in scripture, where something is stated, often in the negative, and then the writer says, but, and God moves us in a different direction. Ephesians 2 said, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But you've been made alive in Christ. This is another occurrence where the writer said that was the false convert. That was the apostate. But I have something better in mind for you, the saints of God. And remember, this book is written by a Jewish Christian author, probably Paul, to Jewish Christians scattered across the empire because of persecution. And many who had professed faith have said this is too hard the ways of Christ are too hard and they've gone back to Judaism and rejected Christ as Lord and Messiah so one of the key concerns in this book is to inspire these Jewish background Christians to stay with Christ and not go back to the sacrificial system of Judaism. Not go back 
something else. But claim the Christ, the great high priest of the covenant. So he says, verse 9, but beloved, aren't you glad for the word beloved? That word is never used in scripture in the New Testament to speak of someone who's outside of Christ. The word beloved is always meant to be spoken to the person who has a relationship with God, with Christ. God does not call the pagan or the wicked beloved. They're under God's wrath. But you saints, I'm addressing this to you, your beloved of God. And because of your adoption, because you're in a relationship with God the Father, through Christ the Son, We are confident of better things about you. Isn't that comforting? Are you trusting Christ? Be assured that you're beloved. You're loved by God. How much so? God's so loved. Yes, the world in general that he gave his son, but specifically that he chose you in Christ for salvation before the end of the world, the beginning of the world. I'm sorry. The writer can say, I'm confident that there's better things for you because you're in Christ and the love of God has been poured about out on you. You've been adopted. You've been moved from the kingdom of sin and death to the kingdom of Christ, from darkness to light. And so, there's a better end for you because God, the Father, will keep his people. Amen? Isn't that encouraging? Don't you find this first comforting that the previous verses have troubled people, but the writer says, but better things of you, you saints of God. Things that are better accomplish, uh, accompany salvation 
we speak in this matter. What's better? What accompanies our salvation? What did Paul say in Ephesians 1? We're chosen in Christ to inherit every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. A couple years ago, I wrote a little study about that. I came up with something like 48 spiritual blessings that we have in Christ because of the work of Christ that's been given to us. The salvation that you have, justification, the forgiveness of sins, being declared not guilty, the imputation of righteousness, adoption into God's family, and you can call Father. Eternal life and inheritance in heaven. The gift of the Spirit. We can name many things. These are the things that accompany your salvation because your trust is in Christ. No longer trusting what you could do to save yourself, but your transfer of trust to Christ in Christ alone. The writer is confident. I want you to be confident of what God has done for you and is doing. And I want you to be confident that what God started He'll finish. Amen. But it's not left to us. If it was left to my choice, my actions, my will, we'd all stumble, wouldn't we? We would disobey. But it's God's power that keeps us. It's God's grace. That's sufficient. It's God's plan. What he started, he will see through. Because the work of Christ Christ, is complete. So, beloved, better things. Be encouraged that you're beloved of God. His wrath is not on you. He poured his wrath on Christ. We deserved the curse of death. He put that on Christ and gave us the gift of eternal life. 
So find your confidence in Christ. Yes, sometimes we have doubts. But go back to Jesus. Who paid it all. Who's the high priest. Who intercedes and prays for us. And Jesus said, John 17, of all the sheep, of all the elect, I have not, I will not lose one. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will not forget about you or lose you. John 10 says, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. I call them by name. I have not lost any of them. Then in verse 10, the writer reminds us, this is true because our salvation it's not rooted in what we could do. But our salvation is rooted in the trust and true triune God. So he says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name that you have ministered to the saints and to minister. Our salvation is based on God. It's 100% the work of God. He planned it. He accomplishes it. He completes it. He applies it. But we might misunderstand. Is the writer saying that God is going to save you because now you're doing good works? Pelagius thought that. The federal vision heresy of this century thinks that. That you won't know if you're justified till you die have you done enough good works that I don't think is what he's saying that God sees your works yes that you have as a Christian been appointed to do good works because it's been my grace you have been saved. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Because of God's grace, we do good works. Because we're new people. And we have a new heart that's capable of showing love toward God and toward the brethren. So he, he says, your labor of love toward God's name 
your honor toward Christ, toward God, and your love, because you minister to the saints. It's not, I'm going to do good works to merit salvation. I'm doing good in the name of God so that God is glorified. Christ is honored. The church is built up. Several times in scriptures, Paul says something like, we know you're Christians because thank you, you love the brethren and you love God. The first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, the first segment is love. Filled by the Spirit, moved to be more like Christ. Spirit-filled Christians become loving toward the brethren, maybe toward our enemies even, and back to God. So it's not done to say, well, look at me, God. I'm a pretty good person. And you have to save me because of this. No, it's because God is at work through His Spirit, through Christ, through His Word, that we're doing acts of love that bring glory to God. The, um, they think about it. Before you were a Christian, did you want to be with the people of God? Did you want to hang out with those churchy people? Did you want to go hear the Bible? Did you want to, you know, fellowship? No, if we're honest, most of the time, I don't want anything to do with those Christians. They're too strange for me. I've got a lot of friends, but not them. But what happens when you became a Christian? Your priorities changed. Your friendships changed. That's not that you don't have non-Christian friends or family members that you care about. But there's that different love for the people of God who are truly now your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you care. Why would we pray for people about their needs if we didn't care. That's part of showing our fruits of true repentance. 
we move toward the people of God in love. And we move toward God. We want to obey His Word. Even though, yes, the people of God can sometimes be difficult. We're not perfect. The people of God, the brothers and sisters, can be very different from what you have been. Culturally, ethnically, speak a different language, have different customs. But I am glad that the Church of Christ is diverse. And that the gospel is for people of every tribe and tongue and nationality. That in the gospel, the dividing wall between the Jews and the peoples of the Gentiles is broken down. That in Christ, God is our Father, Christ our Lord. So, I encourage you, do good works because you love Christ. Not to get points with God, but to show He's loved you first. And by God's grace, by God's spirit, I'm showing love in return. The third point, verses 11 and 12. The apostle has a desire for these beloved saints of God. He says, we desire. I think the writer is speaking not just of himself, but collectively of the apostles. They're in unity, whether they're in Jerusalem or somewhere else. The desire of the leadership is that each one of you, each of you saints, beloved of God, show diligence to seek the full assurance of the hope until the end. Sometimes our assurance seems to wane. Mostly, I would suggest we might have guilt over some sin pattern. We might have fear because the world's a difficult, dangerous, wicked place. We might have periods of unbelief where we have trouble believing the scriptures. 
also listening. My desire is for you to move away from fear and guilt and unbelief to a full assurance in the hope of your salvation. The assurance that's not rested on what you can do today, but on what Christ has done. What God the Father has given you. What the Spirit is doing in you. What the Word of God promises. As you read the scriptures and you come to a promise, claim it for yourself. The promises are true in Christ. God is not a fickle leader where he says, I made a covenant last year with you, but I'm going to break it and change the terms. God is true and just and faithful to keep the covenant he made with his people. A covenant that's mediated by Christ. So, the writer is saying, live as a Christian with diligence, sober-mindedness, maturity, that you're assured of your salvation, the hope that God gives you. A couple verses down from here, it's going to say, the sure hope is found in the anchor of our soul. Live with diligence. Confident, not in yourself, but in Christ. Till the end. Either the end of this age, when Christ returns, or to the end of your natural life. Look to Christ. Where have you been put? John 15 says that you are a branch attached to Jesus, the true vine. That's where you abide. And the Christian who abides with Christ is fruitful, bears much fruit. Who are you united to? You've been crucified with Christ. You've been buried with Christ. Baptized with Christ. And you will be resurrected with Christ. It's guaranteed. On the glory. 
He says, beloved, I'm confident of better things because you are united to Christ. So you should live with diligence to look to Christ, to look to his word, to count on the spirit. And you should have hope in the gospel. And, uh, but he warns us, verse 12, <laughs> it's important to give warnings to Christians who are kept by God because we should not go back to sin patterns and unbelief and fear. We're warned to live by faith and trust Christ. So he says, verse 12, he said, be diligent, but don't become sluggish. Isn't it easy to go astray, to drift? We were going this way, and now we're over here in some hard, rocky place. Or we're over here in some swampland of despair because we're taking our eyes off of Christ, the gospel, the word of God. We've all done that, haven't we? Even some the greatest preachers in church history at serious times of depression, Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, I basically stopped looking to Christ for a period of time. So he said, don't be sluggish, be sober, don't be lazy, stay in the word. Read the Word. Meditate on the Word. Study the Word. Hear the Word. The Word strengthens our faith. It's a tool of the Spirit. Don't be sluggish in prayer. Anything's Almost easier, isn't it, than praying or reading the Word. Don't be lazy or sluggish about attending worship service. I think the church got into some bad habits in the pandemic because there was virtual church a lot. And now some people say, why bother going and worshiping and fellowshipping with the believers? And we all know that we almost do want to do anything than pray or read the word. We'll read the sports page.
stage or watch Netflix. Yeah, we can chit chat on the phone, but it takes diligence not to be lazy in these means of Christ. So, my challenge is. diligent to pray to use the word of God to worship God personally corporately and uh, and he says also for us that our help for the Christian in this life is to imitate Verse 12, those who by faith and patience inherit the promises. We're to live by faith. We're justified by faith. We're sanctified by faith. And we have to patiently wait for God to fulfill his promises. We may not see everything in our lifetime. Abraham did. Moses did. But they were looking with confidence toward God, toward his kingdom, toward his Christ. We're called the look with that big picture that the kingdom of God is here and will come and that Christ is triumphant. But he's also saying, imitate these saints who have gone before us and who are around us. Imitate mature brothers and sisters. You may be a Christian for, say, 10 years, but somebody else might be a Christian for 30 years. And you can learn that more mature believer as part of your discipleship. The babe in Christ is to mature to be like a young adult. The young adult to be like an old person, an old man, John said. Chapter 2. So, it's good for us to find spiritual leadership and mentors that we can learn from and imitate. It's good for us to read biography, <laughs> biographies of great saints 
missionaries and learn from them. What did Paul tell Timothy? Imitate me. Learn from me. Imitate the apostles and their teachings. Why? Because Paul said, well, it's not about me. But imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. So that's good advice for us. Imitate faithful brothers and sisters. They may not be leaders in the church, but thank God for godly men and women who are just fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, and not necessarily pastors or elders or deacons, who of course we can imitate also. So, what do we learn today? The beloved is not like the false convert who falls away. The true Christian doesn't fall away because they're kept by God, kept by Christ. He's confident greater things, greater outcomes, the completion of our salvation. But he calls us to live diligently with the hope of full assurance, the completion that God doesn't forget about you, doesn't stop loving you, doesn't stop caring for you. A couple of action points at the bottom the outline. I want you to continue to read in Hebrews. Read the whole book, but read chapters 6, 7, 8, 9 as we look to what Christ is doing. And then action point two, believe the word of God and its promises. You know, we get in trouble sometimes because we simply don't believe the scriptures. Have you ever done that? Did the scriptures really mean that? I don't know. That's kind of what Eve did. Did God say that? Satan got her confused. Now, that was a direct temptation by Satan. But we're tempted a lot of times to say, gee, I wonder if the Bible's true on this point. Trust the scriptures to be true are only infallible 
inherent rule of life and practice. How do you do that? Read the scriptures. Read it with prayer. Ask God to teach you from the Bible. (laughs) Third, Jesus is the only anchor of your soul. Abide with Christ. Rest with Christ. If we say to ourselves, I started with Christ, but I'm okay now, and I can go on. That's falsity. Christ is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the way. We must stay with Christ every day. It's the same gospel brought us into the kingdom keeps us in the kingdom. So especially when you have temptations and fear and doubts, look again to Christ and what he did at the cross, what has been promised. Because Jesus said, we read it in John 6, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes, verse 47, has eternal life. Eternal life isn't taken away. Like, oh, I had it for a year. Then I lost it. So, stay with Christ. And then lastly, as the promise of salvation is sure to those who believe the promise of judgment is sure to those who reject Christ so preach Christ to the lost freely declare this gospel to whoever you can. If it's good news for you, and it is, right? Beloved of God, it's good news for any other person. But how should they hear? Unless they hear the word from somebody who will preach it to them. So let's take the gospel as we believe it, to the lost world. Father, thank you for these powerful few verses of Scripture. May each one of us have confidence in Christ. Move us by the power of your Spirit and your Word from fear, doubt, guilt, unbelief. May we look to Christ. May we ask for the Spirit 
and is filling. May you teach us, train us, disciple us through your word. Give us diligence that we would not be lazy to be disciples given over to Christ. May we take this good news to many people. Jesus' name.